0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com.
1: I'm Pastor Peter Kova. It's so great to be here in front of you guys today. And let's go ahead and dive into the word that God has for us. Father, we just thank you for this incredible opportunity to be in your presence, to hear your word to speak unashamedly on what you are wanting to communicate to us. God, I just thank you that you're a God that redeems. You're a God that resurrects. You're a God that still works today, that you have not retired, that you have not backed down, that you have not aged out, that you are still today the same God that has performed all of this time, that still loves his people, that still engages uh, his sons and daughters in 2022, just like you did 2,000 years ago. And we're so grateful for Amen and amen. Uh, I want to, we're starting a new series called Lost Languages. Um, This is something that has been birthed months and months ago, and I honestly have been waiting for the moment. Not because of the transition that took place, but just for the when. When does God want to to release this word? So uh, we're going to begin the series. I can be honest and tell you, typically my series are three to four weeks. I have no idea how long this is going to last. This could be a while, Um, but each week is is imperative. I want to preach on a dangerous epidemic that is spreading across our world, and it's like a virus. It's unseen, but the effects have been made known for years and years. This is not something that's contagious by traditional means, like drinking after somebody or grabbing a doorknob or walking through Walmart. No, this is an issue that is stirring around our world and has permeated every level of society. It has affected the rich and the poor. It is something that has devastated every ethnicity and gender, and there is no one uh, that is immune to what's been going on. This virus has seeped into our churches, into our schools, and it resides in our cars and our homes. in areas that used to fight against it unfortunately, are seemingly embracing it as if it's gospel. This travesty that's taken place, I've done it. You've done it. Your neighbors have done it. And I'm not quite sure of anybody who hasn't participated in this, but I can tell you this: that if this continues, our faith will change dramatically. This message is not fear-mongering. It's not meant to scare anybody. It's not meant to condemn or to shame anybody. This is actually a message written by me for me. And I'm sharing with what's the journey that's been going on in my heart. Today I want to talk about a people who've lost their language. I want to talk about a people who stopped speaking and are now becoming the culture that they were called to change. John 15, John 16, John 17, and John 18 have a unique phrasing that they use when it refers to the body of Christ. One says that you are not of this world. Another one says that I am not of this world and neither are my followers. One says that the world will hate you because they don't know you. One talks about how the world would despise you because you're not one of them. God has this huge idea that's taken place in the Gospel of John that we should not be part of what's taking place in this world. Why? Why? Because you're not from this world. Now, before you get all spooky and History Channel and ancient aliens on me, I'm not saying you guys came down from spaceships. But what has happened is is that once we have received Christ as our Savior, the old man is gone, the new man is here, and we are not who you used to be. The other day I was at Walmart, and I watched something that took place that was, unfortunately... In our world, in our society, seemingly normal, and I understand, I'm not judging anybody by this, but I watched this man just unload on one of the poor ladies working at Walmart. He's yelling, he's losing his mind, I'm not quite sure what happened, I don't know. But all I hear as I'm walking by is, this is America, speak English. And I I paused and I backed up, and she smiled, she said, and walked away. I was like, "Ooh, that escalated. This is what took place in my heart. That this is the exact same thing that is going on in every church, in home, in car, in relationship. The entire world is looking at you saying, this is the culture you live in, be like us. And what's taken place in our world is we are seeing of epic proportions... People letting go of their culture that they're called from to embrace a culture that they were never supposed to be a part of. And what I'm watching in my life, maybe in your life, in your family's life, in the churches as a whole, is this big, huge conundrum that's taken place. And it looks like this. We've let go of our original intent home and now are embracing the world as if we were supposed to be here the entire time. And I'm watching people that will, on a form, identify with their origins, with what their genes say. On a form, they're writing that they are uh, uh, Hispanic. They're they're writing that they are of, of different nationalities. But when you talk to them, when you look at them, when they watch how they dress, when you listen to what they say, when you listen to the music they listen to, when you see them in society, you have no idea that they were originally born somewhere else. Because what happens is, when we stop speaking our language, we give up on our culture. And this is what's happening in our world today. The church has begun losing its voice. Give a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 4. <laughs> uh, Exodus 4 is the passage where Moses is been leading sheep in the wilderness, in the desert. There comes a bush that lights itself on fire, which isn't uncommon for that time. But what is uncommon is that this burnt this bush is not engulfing in flames and dying out. It is maintaining its burn. And what it's burning is not dying, it's staying alive. Which I can imagine would catch anybody's eye. So Moses turns to look, and out of it a voice comes it's the voice of the Lord calling him to something. In verse 1, then Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me. What he's called to do is to go back to Egypt and rescue the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians. They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said, What is in your hand? And he said, A staff, and he threw it on the ground. And as he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. It's a good idea. He's a smart man. There's two types of snakes that, I, that, that should exist, dead ones and really, really dead ones. I will run off a road to hit a snake. Has anybody witnessed from that? One of my favorite stories in my life, I had a horrible day. I was living in, in Lehigh Acres in Florida, and I just had a, just a bad day. You ever had just, just the worst, and you're fuming mad? And you, you have all of these things where you're not going to yell at somebody, and you're not going to chew them out because you know that's not right. But you're, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. And I opened my house door, and I slammed the door. I just got the phone, and I walked out, and a snake is at my feet. And the snake pulls its head back, and I went, whoa! And then he lunged at me, to which I stepped and punted the snake, end over end. And it looked at me, and then took off, like, what in the world just happened? Can I tell you? It's still a highlight of my life. Right there, I punted a snake. Moses ran from his. I kicked mine in the face. <laughs> Moses runs from the snake. And verse 4, But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand out and catch it by the tail. So he did, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to him. Again, the Lord said in verse 6, Put your hand inside of your coat. And as he put his hand inside of his coat, he took it out, and behold, it was leprous like snow. And then God said, Put it back inside of your coat. So he did. And when he took it out, Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. This is where it gets crazy. In verse 8, If they do not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe a latter sign. If they would not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground. And the water you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. But Moses said, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in past since you have spoken to your servant, but I am Flow of speech. Leave that verse up there for a moment. This is where everything shifts. For the vast majority of my life, I have been taught that Moses had a speech impediment. Maybe he stuttered really, really badly. Maybe he just had a really girly voice. I don't really know. But it was always this idea that Moses had a speech impediment, and he asks God, can you let Aaron speak on my behalf? So he does. Here's where it bothers me. How come Moses didn't need Aaron in the wilderness to speak on his behalf? Why was it just with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's people? So, like any nerd, I retired to my nerdery and started Googling everything. When I found a couple of answers, I decided to call one of my college professors and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Can you help me with this? To which he replies to me, This is one of the biggest church misnomers. Moses most likely did not have a speech impediment, he says. He says, you need to understand the full story. So we walk through the story. And this is what happens. Moses is born in the land of Egypt. He is raised in the house of Pharaoh. He is raised as a son of Pharaoh. He decides to get angry. He kills a man, and he runs for 40 years to the land of Midian. And then God tells him to go back and speak. So picture this for a moment, if you will. Let's just hypothetically say you are born in Germany. You speak German. You are raised in that culture until you are roughly about 20 years old. Then you move to America where you're not speaking German. You're speaking English for 40 straight years. And then I tell you, go back and speak German. I feel like you may stutter and stammer. If anybody here is bilingual, they understand that idea of if I don't use my language, I get rusty really quick. And Moses is going, I don't speak the language anymore. It's been so long. And this is what's taking place in our churches is that God is calling our church to go back to what it was supposed to be. And we're standing here going, but I don't speak the language. He's telling us to revive and to have these moments and to have all of this thing going on, and we're standing here going, good idea, God, but can you get somebody else to do it for us? Why? Because it's embarrassing. You ever try to learn a language? My sister, God bless her, was my Spanish teacher in high school, and she was pregnant. Heidi is the sweetest person in the world until she was pregnant with Tyler. And then, whoa. Well, maybe it was my class. Maybe my class did it to her. I don't know. Rusty says it was my class. No, no one asked you, Kim. <coughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'll talk back. You yeah, do know. But it gets to a place where she would take the class to a moment where we had to stand in front and speak. Now, taking the tests was easy. I'm reading the language, I'm answering the questions. I'm reading the language, I'm answering the questions. It's no problem. But there comes a line when your brain goes, I can read and understand, but my mouth goes, no, you don't. And this is what's taking place in the life of Moses. And this is what's taking place in our life. Is that God is asking us to go back and speak a language that we have forgotten. And a language that we have let go of. And can I tell you? It's going to be awkward. When you're going back and chasing after the things of God. And you're bringing back things from the dead. And you're walking this out again. It can be awkward. You're going to stutter. You're going to stammer. You're going to say the wrong things. But can I tell you? You get up and you keep learning. Because the risk of losing this cultural language is devastating for generations. Because in your language is the invisible strings of DNA that connect the past to the present. And once we cut those strings, we have nothing to give our kids except for what's already visible before them. And this is the problem that we're finding ourselves in. When we lose our dialect, we lose our culture. English is spoken all the way around the world, but you can tell the difference when somebody is from Alabama and when somebody is from Pakistan. Call a help desk. You'll figure it out. Go anywhere. In fact, there's a lady in uh, Walmart and Prattville who is uh, from the UK. She speaks English, obviously, but everybody stops and goes, where are you from? Bless your heart. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians that may speak the language, but when we give up our Pentecostal dialect, we lose our culture. When we start to try to blend in with everybody else, we lose what makes us different. Can I tell you really quick, new life is not meant to be a cookie cutter church. New life is not meant to speak like everybody else. New life is not meant to sound like everybody else. We can have the same seats, and we can have the same music, and we can have the same speakers. But you know what should be different? How we talk. Our dialect of how we communicate the things of God should be different. When a language gets lost, guys, there's no bridge to the past. There's no bridge to our history. There's no connection to our inheritance anymore. And can I tell you, for generations upon generations upon generations, you can go to Azusa Street, You can go even further back. There have been men and women of God that have been fighting for something. And I'm watching in one solid generation, everything come crashing down. Why? Because we've been embarrassed of our dialect. We've been embarrassed on how we speak. We've had too many people say, where are you from? We've had too many questions of why do you talk like that? And it's just easier to blend in than it is to stand out. When a language gets lost, all future generations will be left up to their own devices and assumptions to determine how we got here. When we watch History Channel or anything else and you start studying ancient cultures, we start walking through when you start looking at archaeology and other things that they're writing. And you know what we do? We begin to assume that what they're saying means this. But it could mean something else. And now we're watching a generation of kids being raised up and they're not speaking the languages that your grandma spoke. They're not speaking the languages that your mama and daddy spoke. And now they're beginning to assume that to have what grandmama had and to have what great grandmama had, we just got to figure it out on our own. When Pastor Heidi asked me about bringing the kids back into worship, it was one of the most uh, confusing moments as, as a pastor. Because on one hand, No. On the other hand, it's an opportunity for a parent to teach a language of worship to their kids. It's an opportunity for you to elbow and go, this is how we worship. This is why we raise our hands. This is why we clap. This is why we sing. I had a conversation with Malachi during the offering. Why why were your eyes closed? Were you worshiping? I fell asleep. Then stand up. We're not sleeping. Get up. We're coaching them in our language. We're walking through the why behind what we have done. And the problem is, is that so many Christians now have taken what others have fought for for granted for so long. We don't even know why we do what we do. 1120. I've got time to walk through one language. Maybe. We'll be Okay. Most of us are familiar with the story of Israel's deliverance. The last plague has always struck me. Because God sends a death angel. And he tells the Israelites to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. So that when he walks by, he knows that you're different. And he passes over your house. You know what's interesting to me? Why didn't God just say, don't go over there? Because when God reigns, it rains on all people. But there's supposed to be a mark that sets you different than everybody else. That mark is called the blood of Jesus. And church has gotten away from the blood of Jesus for years. Years. Because it's not comfortable and it's not trendy and it's messy and it's gross. I've heard parents say, when y'all talk about the blood, kind of my kids, it's kind of weirding them out. Okay? But yet they can go and play video games where they literally explode people. We can scroll through TikTok. We can watch YouTube. We can, we can go to the movies and we can celebrate somebody getting annihilated. But when the church begins to speak about the blood of Jesus, everybody wants to pull back because that's not okay. Why? Because it's in the blood of Jesus where your power comes from. I remember a day when I would wake up and I would have a hard day or whatever was going on. And my life had just fallen apart. This is years and years and years and years ago. And I could call on Elaine Turner and tell her what was going on. You know what she would do? She would prophesy over me and then she would do something old school called, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over your life. And she would begin to decree, and she would begin to declare, and she would begin to lay hands on me, and she would begin to speak the blood over me. And she, Why? Because there is power in the blood of Jesus. And once we take that out of our thing, and we just talk about the sweetness of him, which is great, he's a wonderful, loving father, but you know what? The blood was on purpose. The blood was real, and the blood was meant for something. And we're just throwing it away because other people don't like it. Can I tell you, the moment that our church has become too relevant for the blood of Jesus is the moment we should shut our doors. Why is it that every other culture gets to say what they want to say, but we have to be quiet? What makes people uncomfortable? Good. It might offend somebody, hopefully. One of the craziest things this week for me is getting calls from other pastors who had heard about, you know, taking the rollover, and they ask one question. Is Sunday service, that new life, meant for the believer or the unbeliever? Now this is a, in the church history, this is a newer question to be asked. This has really started stirring up in the 90s. Is the church for the believer or for the unbeliever? And the answer, the question itself means, on Sunday mornings when you guys worship, are you guys the crazy church? Are you guys preaching the word really hard and people are growing, but visitors who come in and non-believers who walk in may be offended and walk out? Or is your church one of those that welcome the lost, that welcome the the, the, the hurting to come in and you're going to love them, you're going you're, you're gonna to help them, yada, yada. Can I tell you, it doesn't have to be one or the other. That's the dumbest question I think I've ever heard from a church. Why do we have to pick? A, a while ago... Uh, my parents and the Goldens went out to dinner and they went to Outback and my, my niece Savannah was struggling. And she was struggling between trying to figure out if she wanted steak or lobster. And she read, huh? Fourth grade? This is two weeks ago. Um, and she read that she could do something called surf and turf. And she orders it in the fourth grade and gets it. And then her dad goes, what did you do? And this is the reality of our life, is that the world and churches now have bought into this. We have to choose. Pick one. You want the lobster? Do you want to have the lost come in? Do you want to have everyone being saved and, 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 and receiving the Holy Spirit? Or do you want the steak? Do you want the meat of the world? And the reality is God designed surf and turf for a reason. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to prove it to you. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost drops, right? We see these men are up in the upper room, and there's tongues of fire on their heads, and they are speaking foreign languages. They are acting drunk as a skunk. And you know what happened? Everybody in the city goes, never go to that place. No! What actually began to happen is that they began to get mocked. Because when they see something different... They can't understand the why, so they mock it. And what Peter does is he stands up and goes, they're not drunk. They're just doing what Joel chapter 2 prophesied. They're walking him through that they're not crazy as you think. What they are is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all the crowd goes, the Holy Spirit can't have that. No. The Bible says, and 3,000 were added In that day. You had 3,000 people go from I'm anti-God to getting saved. Why? Because there was something different about what was going on inside that church. And they went from a few men in the upper room to a hundredfold return really, really quick. Because they knew who they were. Are people going to go, oh, you go to that church, huh? Of course they are. Why? They don't understand. They don't understand why we plead the blood of Jesus over somebody's life. They don't understand the why behind what we do. And as we're going through these lost languages, we're going to walk through what's taken place and why we do what we do. There was a day that a church stood strong in power. Last night I got a call from uh, Pastor John Varner. For y'all who don't know who John Varner is, he actually founded this church in a Dairy Queen. Okay, so he calls me because he says, Pete, I had a dream about you. And I, I feel like I got the interpretation. And I want to give it to you. I'm like, I'm Great. I'm always down for a good dream. Let me hear it. So he walks me through this dream. And he's talking about how we are in an old house, but it had been renovated. But you could still tell it was an old house, but it had new amenities. And I'm standing by the fire. And he kept, I'm paraphrasing, uh, worried that I was going to get burned. Because I was standing too close to the fire. And then he begins to tell me what's going on. And number one, he says that at New Life, you're called to relevate and and bring back the old ways without destroying them with a modern twist on where we are. And you're supposed to be standing next to the fire in his presence where it could consume something else, but you're used to his heat. And this is what's taking place, is that we're supposed to be a church that's not afraid of the fire. We're supposed to be a church that's not afraid of the power. We're supposed to be a church that that is unashamed and bold in applying the blood of Jesus to our lives. We were supposed to be unashamed that we're supposed to call the name of Jesus. Not some random God in the universe. We're supposed to be a a men and women of God that would stand and speak against principalities. And speak against powers. And when people who were full of demons would manifest, everybody would flee. But you stood and you cast it out. That's that's old time. That's not old time. We've just accepted them. And we've medicated them. I'm not saying all medicine is bad, but guys, at what point have we realized that the demons haven't changed? They're still here. And maybe, just maybe, they don't manifest around people like this anymore because they don't have to. Maybe they don't manifest because there once was a time when people walked in the power of Jesus and his presence. And when his presence gets close, they have to freak out. Oh, come on. Offending people with the blood. A church choosing between being seeker friendly and going after the unbeliever or speaking the word is like the equivalent of Israel taking over Jericho and then abandoning it to go after Jerusalem. God meant for you to take the land, hold the land, expand the land. And our role is not to go, well, that was what we used to do in the 80s and 70s and 90s, and now we're doing something new. We're going to let go of, you're supposed to be building onto previous generations, not Abandoning previous generations. The idea that we go, well, that was older than I am, so it's irrelevant, is the dumbest statement that somebody could, the most ignorant statement that anybody could ever make. You know what's old? The will. We still use those. Have we changed them? Have we adapted them? Same circle every single time. You build on something, you don't abandon it. No one's going out, forget the will, going triangles. It's not what's happening. But that's what the church is wanting to do. Why? Because the enemy knows that if a church can be bilingual, they'll let go of their former language. Anybody who has been embracing a culture will let go of the previous culture and become like them. It's so funny because I was born and raised here in Alabama. Slap out Alabama. So yeah, roll tide. Way out there. Then I find myself in Ukraine. In 2002. 2002, yes. Doing missions work. There wasn't horribly long, but I was there about 10 days, 14 days. And then all of a sudden, you know what I realized? As I'm talking to people who speak broken English, I begin to speak broken English. I found myself going, how do you say water? Not in Russian or Ukrainian, in English, like an idiot. Because... I began to get so enamored with that culture, I forgot who I was. I forgot that at any given moment, I speak more fluent English than all of them combined. And I was willing to let it go to blend in. And this is where our churches are. We're letting go of our heritage to blend in. I listen to a podcast when I cut grass and do other things. And honestly, I picked a a podcast by its topic and different things. And it took me 45 minutes to realize, oh, this isn't just an educational podcast. This is a a, a church. It took 45 minutes. And I went, oh, okay, this is, I picked a religious podcast. Had no idea. How I knew it, because at the very end, he goes, I should probably put a verse to make this thing official. That's how I knew he was a pastor. I'm like, cool. It's a good podcast. Self-help. I don't know if I can help myself, but whatever. EJ, can you come on up? I'm finding myself looking at a church going, at what point, and this is where we start off today, is that we have to be a church that is no longer ashamed of the blood of Jesus. We have to be a church that looks at somebody and proclaims the blood of Jesus over their life. We have to be a church that goes, I know it's awkward. And I know it's uncomfortable. And yeah, I may not see all the right things. But you know what's great about the things of God? There's not a formula. It's not a spell that if you mess up one dialect or one letter or one thing that God goes, can't work it now. God is so wanting and desperate to invade your life. He will use anything. Anything. He was so desperate for Balaam. He used his donkey to speak into his life. And you're going to sit there and tell me, well, I may not say the right things, but I'm trying. God, God's going to be like, nope, absolutely. That's, no, that's the enemy putting fear to hold you back. That's the enemy wanting you to be normal yet again. That's the enemy wanting you to go back into your shell and go back to who you used to be and just blending in with everybody else. And the entire time God's going, speak the name. Speak the name. Go ahead and start singing this for us if you can.
0: What can wash away my sin? You declare it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
1: you feel that. Why? Because when a people of God are unashamed of where they come from, he pours in. Two nights ago, my son had a bad dream. Not sure exactly what was going on. But we're house-sitting at my parents' house. Okay, I'm taking care of the dog. And he wakes up. So if you have ever been in their house, they're upstairs, has a big, huge bedroom. You've got a couple of beds in there, and Malachi and McKenna are sharing a bed. I'm in the other bed, and I hear my son start screaming. Screaming. And, of course, I shoot up like a rocket because, like, who's getting murdered, what's happening? And he is just losing, losing it. I mean, there's just no easy way to say it. He is just terrified. Something is going on. I get the light on real quick, and I'm asking him what's going on, and he's explaining to me that he was seeing something. Now, Pete would like to sit down with his son and be like, okay, well, let me explain to you what a dream world is. Sometimes it gets really real. And as I'm having this conversation explaining to him what's going on, I have just the absolute biggest check in my gut. Now, I get that I was a little slow to the party, but it was two in the morning. And I was still trying to unravel on why my son's screaming. And I, and I realized halfway through me trying to explain my son's screaming to him, I realized, why are you being stupid? Feed the blood of Jesus over your son. And I said, Malik, I'm just going to, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to pray. And I grabbed his hand and I began to pray. And then I began to plead the blood of Jesus over his mind. I began to plead the blood of Jesus over his sleep. I began to rebuke anything that was sticking its head up. I did something crazy that you might think. I broke out in tongues. I'm I'm laying hands. I'm doing my thing. And instantly the room changes, and there's peace back in the room, and he conks back out for the rest of the day. Well, night. He didn't sleep all day. He was in a coma. But what's happened is that our first reaction has stopped being going after the blood of Jesus and started being, well, let me try to figure out what's really happening. What would happen if our first reaction was we're going to declare and we're going to decree and we're going to bind and we're going to rebuke and we're going to lay hands and we're going to plead the blood of Jesus and we're going to do it until something happens or until we feel the Holy Spirit go try something else. But what's going on is now we're using Jesus as our last resort. We're professionalizing the blood of Jesus. Well, next week, today's Monday. On Sunday, if you're still dealing with it, we'll get pastor to pray with you. No. You, mom, do it. Lay hands on your kids. You plead the blood over your life. When the enemy brings accusations over you, he begins to bring up your past, whether current or former. And he asks you, how do you plead? I plead the blood of Jesus. It washes me white as snow. When you begin to have sickness in your body, I plead the blood of Jesus that has that has healed all sicknesses and disease. When you begin to have thoughts in your minds of hurting yourself or depression, I plead the blood of Jesus that I am an overcomer, that I'm not going under. When you start having issues in your in your relationships, I plead the blood of Jesus. Hey, you know your kids are going to go crazy and they're going to smoke weed and they're going to get drunk and they're going to go party. I plead the blood of Jesus over my kids' life. The economy is going to tank. Well, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over my doorpost. I know these things take place in the world, but there used to be a people that used to stand up and say, it may happen to you, and it may happen to you, but as for me and my house, I plead the blood of Jesus. There used to be a group of people that didn't care what the economy said. They didn't care who was in the White House or Congress or Senate. They didn't care who was doing whatever because no matter what took place, they put the blood on their door and said, I plead the blood of Jesus. A thousand may fall on one side, ten thousand at the other, but it's not coming to my house. Why because of the blood of Jesus what happened to those people speak the language again wake up lions you've been asleep for far too long I don't need 2,000 people to change this city I need a hundred people who will plead the blood of Jesus I don't need thousands upon thousands of people to do something crazy and to do a, a cd wide car wash or to go door-to-door and hand out Easter eggs. What I need is people to stand up and say, I decree and declare a thing, and I plead the blood of Jesus. If we had a church people, if I had somebody with me that would say, when I see somebody, I'm going to lay hands on the sick in a Walmart or in a Publix or in a Winn-Dixie, and they're going to get healed. When my friends start breaking down and they start telling me all their issues, I'm not going to look at them and go, you need to go talk to a counselor, I'm going to lay hands and plead the blood of Jesus over their minds and over their thoughts. When everything around me is in disarray, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus. Why? Because the blood provides protection. The blood provides a means for deliverance. The blood promises a new day is coming. The blood provides a witness of who you're supposed to be. When Jesus died on that cross, his blood wasn't wasted. It wasn't expired. We don't have to explain ourselves away any longer. Even if you don't fully understand it, you know who does? Every angel in heaven and every demon on the earth. They understand the blood. They understand what's going on. The disciples were out casting out demons. And some other people just kind of saw what they were doing and thought, that looks cool. And they began to lay hands on people and they got healed. And they began to cast out demons. And you know what the disciples did? Rebuked them. Because they weren't one of us. And Jesus goes, let them do it. What are you, what are you doing? Why? Because everybody understands the blood of Jesus. Well, I've got issues. Every... <laughs> the disciples were full of issues, y'all. I mean, Peter just lied and betrayed and disowned Jesus. Three days later, they're best friends again. You've got plenty of issues. But you know what's great? Dip yourself in the blood of Jesus. Pick yourself up and keep moving. Because in the blood is power. I can give you three ways to make your finances better. I can give you five, five steps to have friends at work. I can do all those things to help you, you know, have, have a better outlook on life and to have peace in your, in your home. I can do all of those things, and I can give you all of the good, the good things you can go buy at Barnes & Noble and buy it at, at Borders. You can go to, to Books a Million and tell you how to get those issues taken place, but can I tell you there's not a single issue on the earth that's more powerful than the blood of Jesus. And it's time... That your very first language you pick back up. Is decreeing and pleading the blood of Jesus over something. Over your life. Over your thoughts. Over your finances. Over your health. Over your husband. Over your wife. Over your kids. Over your co-workers. Over your neighbors. Come on somebody. It's time to plead again. Let's pray. Father we just thank you for this day. I thank you that the blood. That you've provided for us hasn't expired. <clears throat> it hasn't fallen away. It's as relevant today as it ever has been before and is more needed today than it's probably ever been before. There are billions of people that are lost and dying. There's plenty of charlatans walking around per, claiming to be Christians. And today, God, I ask right now that, you, are, that you, raise up, uh, you raise up people who are willing to decree and declare something in this earth. God, right now over the river region, over Millbrook and Praval, over Montgomery, over, over Elmore, over every area that we can possibly lay our hands to right now, over Clinton, uh, you name it, Attaugerville, God, we decree and declare a thing that, God, you are moving again in the river region again. That there are people that are seeking your face. God, I just ask that you begin to raise them up. From the north, the south, the east, the west. We decree and declare a thing to be done, God. I thank you that the blood of Jesus is going to be rested on the doorpost of new life. And the families of those over new life. And that no matter what takes place, we will have a testimony. That we were survived and we we, we thrived in the midst of a famine, God. That we can do exactly what you have called us to do for, for, for thousands of years. Because of the powerful name of Jesus. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We love you guys. Have a great day. We'll pick up part two on this. But this week, plead the blood of Jesus over somebody's life, over your life. Amen? Let's do it.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.